to Teachers Talk Film, episode 13. Today, we're going to be talking about the Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm joined with my good friend and fellow teacher, Mitchell Main. Mitchell, how's, uh, how's summer treating you so far? You know, 10 out of 10 so far with summer break um, until some events of yesterday that occurred. Um, I shaved the, the beard yesterday and we talked about the summer stash movement and it was the into the wild episode um, a few episodes back. And, you know, I'm a man of my word. And so I did it. Do I regret it? Absolutely. Um, will it grow back? Absolutely. Um, am I super mad about it? No, um, but I'm going to be walking around for a week or so looking like uh, looking like a fool. Um, so yeah, that's that. Other than that, summer has been great. What about you? Well, you speak of mustaches. We both currently have mustaches. Um, you know, it's, it's a choice to have a mustache. Uh, can anybody pull it off? No. It can, and I mean, anybody, there's, there's nobody in the world that can pull it off. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a few that we may discuss today, but I feel like the stash may be back, man. Um, the, the movie we watched today, many mustaches, uh, mm. top gun Maverick mm. is out mustaches plenty. Um, it, it's, it's, it's time the summer of 2022 is is hereby known as the summer of the stash whether you like it or not there's nothing we could do about it it's it's been declared um so yeah my summer's great <laughs> in short my summer's great <laughs> um well let's just let's just launch into it right now let's talk stashes man let's do um, it we've decided that for today we like I said, the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, many mustaches in this movie. I'm sure we'll talk about them later. Um, but we've decided to draft the top mustaches of all time. Um, these could be men. These could maybe be women. Um, some dogs may be making the list. I don't know. I don't know what is in store for us. Um, we, sh we shall find out. So, um, we got a little draft here. How are you feeling about this? I'm feeling good, kind of. Um, <laughs> I feel like my explanations as to why I picked the people will be what really give them the meaning because I looked at it a little bit differently in terms of like the face that the stash is on too. Like there's a lot of components of what makes mm -hmm. a good stash a good stash. I don't have the face for it. I would, I would argue and say that you... You, you have the face for a nice stash. Um, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Um, for those who are listening, X-Ray here is modeling the stash. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited more to hear um, who you picked. So yeah, let's get into it. I, I got a pretty good list, I must say. <laughs> um, and uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself the first pick. How do you like that? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. With pick number one, I am taking the legendary Teddy Roosevelt, mm. um, president of the United States. I don't know what number president he was. I just know that he had a sick stash 
sitting on that upper lip. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I really like Teddy Roosevelt. He, he basically founded the national parks, created that whole like system, um, shot a bunch of giant animals and again, did it with an awesome mustache. He's round one, pick one, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, he does exemplify everything you would want in a stash. Um, the man behind the stash and just the look of it as well. So that, that is a great number one. Great number one. My number one is a bit of an unconventional stash, um, but one that is legendary, legendary in cinematic history. And that is Charlie Ooh. Chaplin. Yes. I mean, how could you not? have charlie chaplin one of us was bound to have him um he didn't have the conventional like cop stash whatever you want to call it it was borderline like hitler looking um <laughs> but i mean you look at that mustache and you immediately know charlie chaplin um number one pick easy money pick there no question great mustache I'm glad that you uh, you recognize that it is a bit Hitler stashy. A hundred percent. Yeah, and I will say that could be a rough pick if we're going just by uh, like surface area. It's pretty short. It, I don't <laughs> even know if it stretches out past the nose. Not but, a lot of volume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, snake it back. So you get you go back to back. I like it. I like it. Thank you. Um, this one, I mean, okay, we talked about the face that is behind the stash. And this guy here has the perfect face for a stash. Um, you might have him on your list. Um, Daniel Plainview, played Ooh. by Daniel Day-Lewis in uh, There Will Be Blood. I mean, what a great stash. The perfect amount of uh, scruff as well. He's clean cut, but he's rugged at the same time. Um, the accent, too, with the stash just makes the stash that much cooler. Um, yeah, easy pick again. I feel like his, like, it's got its own, uh, it looks at you funny. Mm -hmm. uh, it, uh, he's, he's not the nicest guy, and, and his mustache definitely helps portray that it, it's right. it's giving you dirty looks while he's saying that he's gonna drink your milkshake <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it uh for, for my second pick i'm gonna go this this may be unconventional too because this is just the dirtiest dirtiest mustache on my list for sure and that is the mustache of celtic legend larry bird really this, this thing is disgusting man it is <laughs> it is thin it is blonde you can barely see it but I, I, when you do see it you see pictures of it i mean he's from indiana he he rocks that just just country mustache and he drops bank shots on you while he's doing it so larry bird can't go wrong larry legend Great pick. Um, I'm actually wearing the Larry Bird jersey right now. Go nice. Celtics. Um, tonight is game one of the NBA Finals. When this podcast episode comes out, we'll probably be in the middle of the series. Um, 
go Celtics, go Derek. Shout out Derek White. Shout out Larry Bird. Um, yeah, very thin, almost pencil thin with zero hair, pun intended, with the Grand Budapest Hotel there. Um, but yeah, once you look at it, you see it, and it, your eyes are almost like just drawn to it all the time. Um, especially in winning time too, that new HBO show. I feel like they did a good job with his stash. Totally. Yeah. And just the countryness. There might be a little bit of dip spit lodged in the hairs there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Larry Bird, great pick. Slept on pick, I'm going to say, already. That's a sleeper pick. Yeah, I was, I was pretty happy I thought of that one because he was he was not going to be on any lists of like, this guy's got an awesome one. Right. Uh, my next one. Um Probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Maybe not all time, but I watched this as a kid many, many, many times. And that is Smokey and the Bandit. You ever mm. seen it? Oh, yeah. I think it was like the, it was some anniversary of it recently. I don't know how many years it's been out. A while. Um, but Burt Reynolds has the mustache of a god. And, and in Smokey and the Bandit, the stash, the car the girl the it's come on come on man burt reynolds he's got to be on the list so I'm, I'm glad he's on my team yeah you know i'm so confident in his stash that i didn't pick him because i knew you were going to like how he is he he has probably the best stash ever of all time um so yeah great pick not surprised excellent pick thank you thank yeah. you um so i get two now yeah okay um this is gonna be for the gen z crowd who is listening um recently coming up into stardom been around in the world of acting and movies and plays for a long time but really starting to shine in the past five six years and that is david david harbour um specifically known as jim hopper in Stranger Things, you look at his stash in the first, like, three seasons. I mean, come on. That's a that's an 80s dad right there. Um, slightly overweight, but just a bulky, hulking man with just the mustache to embody him. Um, just that dad strength is found in that stash. Um, he's my favorite character on the show. The new season is great. Um, he doesn't have a stash in the new season, but um, you go back and you look at those other seasons and you're like, man, he might be my favorite character simply because of the stash that he is rocking. So that's an easy pick for me. Jim Hopper. His too is like, you can't see through that thing. Like mm -hmm. mine and yours, like you could, you could still see our, our skin. They're, they're, they're see-through. His is like, a full on squirrel's tail up there. Yeah. You, you can't, that thing is thick. Um, that skin is very white underneath it. He needs no sunscreen there. Um, yeah. That's, that's a solid one. I like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm borderline Larry bird mustache. I think, <laughs> I think I have a little more hair up there, um, but it is like the lighter strawberry blonde. Um, so yeah, I will not be doing this mustache thing ever again. Um, I'm just waiting for my, my, my hair to grow back on the face. Um, I get another pick, correct? 
Yeah. Let's see. Okay. This one, we got to throw in some of the classics. Um, mm-hmm. And have you seen Casablanca before? I have. Okay. Um, I'm going with, I'm thinking I'm saying his name right. He's British. Um, is it, it's Claude or Cloud Reigns? I'm, I'm, it's got to be Claude. Claude Reigns, he plays um, Renault in Casablanca. Um, sort of like the um, accomplice to General Strausser in the first two acts of the film. Um, just a great mustache. I mean, this is whenever you think of like a proper stash, that is it. I mean, there's nothing too crazy going on with it, but it's it's clean. Um, he has the face for it. it. It's an easy pick for me, and it's a nod to the great film that is Casablanca. That is, that's very clean. I just looked it up. That is a clean, well-kept mustache. Um, I feel like, yeah, that it's old school. It's clean. Um, Yeah, we're not there, man. Ours are disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Fine. You have your last one or two? Uh, I got two. You got two more. To finish it out. Um, I would be remiss if I did not have a baseball player on this list. Because Mm. baseball, especially back in like, I don't know, 70s, 80s, maybe even up into the 90s, just known for dudes with mustaches. There's quite a few guys I could pick from. I'm going to go with... The Seinfeld legend himself, Keith Hernandez. Mm. Um, Keith Hernandez, first baseman for the New York Mets. Um, Like I said, also appears in a few episodes of Seinfeld. Um, Asked Jerry to help him move when they're not really friends. Not okay. Uh, Killer stash. It's great. It's dark. It's uh, it's nice. And he plays baseball, which just, just adds to the whole thing. Keith Hernandez. This might be a dumb question, but is he the one who blew the World Series because the ball just went right under him as the first baseman, like the easy ground ball? Is that him? No, that's uh, Bill. Bill, is it Bill? His last name's Buckner. Um, Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. The 50-year-olds who are listening in right now are just livid that we don't know this. (laughs) unacceptable unacceptable that's a great pick. Um, great pick and i think keith hernandez he i think he calls games for the mets now and like he's still rocking the stash he didn't go like you know this is this is an old thing no he he still got it um i think don't don't quote me on that but I, i think he's still rocking it which is which is nice i like it with my last pick um Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I don't have any fictional characters on here, and I think I need one. This is an easy pick, but I have to do it. Ron Swanson. Oh, come on. Come on. If, if he wasn't on the list, people would be angry. And uh, again, he's he em- embodies the stash. Just like he makes his own stuff. He doesn't trust the government. Um 
that's what mustaches stand for. So R Ron Swanson is uh, rounding out my my top five. Great pick. You kind of look like a um, like a Ron Swanson in his early twenties, mid twenties, late twenties. Um, like if you were to be casted, I could see it. It would work with the stash all right. and all. NBC, you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, when, when we make the prequel to Parks and Rec, uh, you found your young Ron right here. I can also build a canoe with my bare hands. So there we go. <laughs> it's um, it's like the young Sheldon show, but it's just young Ron. So yeah, you oh, already God. got the title. No, and everything. no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> And with that, I am out. Um, all righty, one more for me. Um, this one was tough because I was kind of put on the spot, and that's okay. Um, but I'm going to go Kurt Russell. Um, pretty much in any movie that he appears in. I believe in the, is it the second Guardians of the Galaxy, um, where Star-Lord is really trying to interact with him as he is his father. It, I think it's the second. I don't know if it's the third or is there even a third one out right now? There's so many Marvel things going on. Um, there is there's not yeah, coming okay. out soon. So it is most definitely the second. Um, but he has a, a real nice stash. Um, and with any movie, he has a great stash. So I, I don't think there's really an explanation for him. Um, but he came to my mind. So obviously he's got to be on the list. Kurt Russell. The, the movie I was thinking of him for is The Hateful Eight. It's, mm. it's giant in that thing. I think it's even, it, it extends down onto like yeah. the chin, back you know, on the jaw. That, that thing's huge. I think it, deep in my like subconscious mind, that's probably what I was thinking of. But then <laughs> my Marvel brain just went Guardians. So thank you for pointing that out. You know, that's what Disney's doing to us, man. That's what they that's what they like is when our our brains only work through Marvel movies. Oh, Disney just dropping so much content recently. They have a chokehold on media. <laughs> chokehold. Um well that was pretty sweet. I like my list. Number one, Teddy Roosevelt, followed by Larry Bird, Burt Reynolds, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Swanson. If those dudes show up to uh to the cookout to to grill some food i think uh, they're gonna do a great job yeah i like it I, I think you won this round um if i'm gonna be honest i think i won the baseball draft with the sandlot i think you won this mustache draft um i had charlie chaplin um this is gonna be out of order i just threw my list away jim hopper um <laughs> kurt russell claude rains and my other one was um gosh who was my other one wow you you know your list isn't great when you can't even remember my point exactly picks, my point oh daniel plainview come on now oh yeah yeah there will be blood come on all right well um I, I would say like leave a comment you know hit us up uh send us an email who who won this draft um well and we might throw this up on tiktok as well so if you're not following us on tiktok or twitter we're there uh i believe we have an instagram now too as well right we do um yeah we have like two <laughs> posts up there um just the followers on that instagram are just booming right now um at teachers talk film 
Twitter at Teacher Film Talk, and then at TikTok or at TikTok on TikTok, Teachers Talk Film. Um, find us. We're easy to be found. Um, yeah. And that's uh, that's really the only places you're gonna see these stashes. Which, if you're listening, you don't don't really get the full experience unless you see them. You you exactly. must picture them in your in your mind. Yeah. One thing about my stash, I mentioned it when you first shaved yours, like with the Into the Wild episode. My like, I'm just so white where there was once hair. Like, I need to step outside for a good hour and. I'm really just, I might just play the hermit card and just sit in my house for a week until it grows back. We'll see what happens. I'm regretting it though. Oh my gosh. People are asking you to like go do things and you're like, I, I really can't. Um, I just shaved. So it's not happening. (laughs) I got a wedding to go to at the end of the month. So this was a good time to like try it out. Because if I did it too late in the game, I would be going out looking like a darn fool. Um, so glad that's not going to happen. All right. Uh, speaking of darn fools, let's uh, let's talk a little Kenobi. Mm. That was no transition at all, but it worked. <laughs> I tried to set you up. Did you see that with the Disney talk and the Marvel has a chokehold on? Ah. I yeah, I was trying to set you up for an easy transition there, but. I should have jumped on that. Summer brain, man. Summer brain. Um, So the first, well, probably by this time, by the time the podcast releases, like four or five episodes will be out. At this point, I've seen two of them. Are you in the same boat? Um, I've seen three. Oh, yeah. yeah, I didn't watch the third one. No. So don't don't spoil it for me. You have to see it like today if you can watch it today. Okay, I will. I will. And don't go on Twitter. I'll right. Okay, I'll watch it right when we're done. Um, what are? How do you feel about it so far? Okay, well, I was really hyped to talk about episode three. Um, Dang. Yeah, but but I we won't. Um, okay, so first two episodes, I'm liking it. Um, you know, I'm really liking the approach of, um, like saving Leia, as the yeah. focus. Because I feel like we've heard so much about Luke. Like, you don't need to retell that story. Um, I really, really did appreciate that. There's a lot of, like, disparaging comments about the actor or actress who plays Leia. Um, People think she's been given too many lines and, like, she has too much of this, like, I'm better than you complex. But, like, if you look at princess leia in the films like she is very confident um inquisitive and just kind of like a leader by nature and so i think she's portrayed greatly in the show kenobi um i liked how kenobi is just kind of like this average joe now working at like a meat factory pretty much Um, And he goes through his day to day and it's just like him just getting monotonously tired throughout his day until he has the call to action to go save Leia. I really, really liked it. Um, I'm excited to see where the series goes. There's only one really bad critique that I have with the first two episodes, and that is the chase scene in the forest where Leia's running like 
she's not even running. She's first of all, she's a little kid and she's just like galloping through the forest almost. And like the inquisitors are out to get her and like they can't get her for some reason because she's the fastest little girl alive. I thought that was very cheesy and poorly done. Um, but otherwise, I'm really, really excited. I'm excited to see where this goes. I feel like it's going to be a fresh take on Star Wars lore. So what about you? Yeah, the, the chase scene has been talked about. I've seen a lot that just how <laughs> bad it is. Yeah, it was bad, especially when like she still gets caught. Like why? I could see if like she doesn't get caught and she gets away doing the chase scene, but no, it was so bad. And I even thought the one like the fight scene in the second episode um, that's like on the rooftops. I didn't think that that was done all that well either. Um, like when uh, the, the third sister is like jumping off of these things and doing like parkour. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, nah, this, this is just not for me. I was not really into it. Um, and that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm not feeling all that excited about it. Um I was, and now I'm not. And I, I, at this point, I just want all of like the fan service possible. So like, just give me, and I'm, I, I know it's coming. I know like <laughs> they keep teasing the, like Obi-Wan's not using his lightsaber. So I know that the moment that he does, I'm going to be like, yes. So I guess I'm just waiting for that. And your reaction of me saying that I'm, I think I'm going to like the, the third episode so yeah just give me all the clone wars all the revenge of the sith movie stuff that i that i grew up on and know and love give me anakin as darth vader um like just give me all that you and sound like a dummy right now why because <laughs> you just need to watch the third episode <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, i don't know the first two i feel like didn't have a lot of that which and well it didn't have a lot of that and i didn't feel like it was all that that great like the mandalorian i didn't feel like had almost any fan service but it was just so good that that i i liked it a lot so i i i am i will happily feel like a dummy when i watch it today <laughs> yeah when you watch it today just shoot me a text and just tell me what your thoughts are after the third episode um it's great. I do agree with you, though. The first two are very, like, exposition, slow yes. moving. Like, we get the shots of the lightsaber, like, in his little um, holster, but he never pulls it out. And there's never really a moment where he has to. Um, he uses the blaster, I think, in the second episode, maybe. Um, yeah. Just watch the third. Just watch the third. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm already happy about it already because yeah I, I need the lightsaber out which i know is going to happen i need i just need some more of those moments yeah text me when you watch the third one okay will do all right we move from star wars talk into our movie today the grand budapest hotel uh yes. quick synopsis here this is our uh this is our second wes anderson movie after doing rushmore um, the Grand Budapest Hotel tells of a legendary concierge at a famous European hotel between the wars and his friendship with a young employee who becomes his trusted 
protege. Mm. Uh, so Wes Anderson, um, start us out. What'd you, what'd you think of this? Yeah. So I was hoping you would ask me to start it out. Um, I want to start it out with two things. First, a, a disclaimer that I watched it for the first time. I mentioned that I had seen snippets of it, but I watched it for the first time in finality yesterday and then followed by the third episode of Kenobi and then a Korean film on Netflix called Forgotten. Um, quick review of that. It was good, but it will it will soon be forgotten in my brain um so that's my disclaimer i'm gonna miss some things and i hope you can help me fill in some gaps because there are so many plot points that go on in this movie um but i really really loved it last week with american psycho you opened up with um some film studies talk film teacher Mm -hmm. talk and so i was gonna do the same with this with the grand budapest hotel um let's do it there's a, a phrase in film study known as mise-en-scene, and it's mm. a French term. And really, when you think about filmmaking, and obviously people are going to listen to me and like correct me and things like this, this is like the most basic, quick mini lesson on film studies. There's so much more to get into. But when you look at the heart of filmmaking, there's mise-en-scene and there's cinematography. Um, Mise-en-scene is a French term for basically just everything that is placed on screen from the way the scene is shot through lighting, through the costume design, through the placement of characters on scene, um, through the setting, the sound plays a role in the mise-en-scene. Um, And then the cinematography then is basically how those things are shot, whether that's through like establishing shot, wide angle, close up, shot in reverse, etc. So um, with mise-en-scene then, there is really two subsets of mise-en-scene. There is the naturalistic mise-en-scene, which is basically like what we see in our ordinary world. Like if you watch a movie like um, The Social Network, um, guy sitting around in his pajamas on his laptop, that's naturalistic mise-en-scene. It's everyday, run-of-the-mill things that are not uncommon in our world today. However, on the other side, there is the theatrical mise-en-scene. You see this in the worlds of Star Wars, Tim Burton movies, Um, basically where you're enveloped in a different world through the setting, through the character design, makeup, all these different things. Um, That is the theatrical mise-en-scene. And so long rant here, short, I really love the mix between both because oftentimes films choose one lane, like I'm going to go naturalistic or I'm going to go theatrical. This film does a little bit of both. Um, I loved, I loved a lot of like the backdrops with some of these shots. Um, like there's one establishing shot at the beginning. It's right after we see the hotel. Um, there's like the elevator and then like the Mm -hmm. mountains behind it are a painting. It's like, and like, it's like, has like hues of purple and like pink color to it. Like 
that's clearly like out of this world, otherworldly type of setting there. Um, but then a lot of the characters themselves, like their development, their personality, the way they interact does feel very natural in a sense. And there's some humanistic like comedy pieces to it. So um, I think Wes Anderson's known for taking us into his brain and of his created worlds. Um, but I think this is the movie where he truly does it um, at an elite level. Yeah, I think it's impossible to not talk about the mise-en-scene and cinematography in this movie because I think it's Wes Anderson at his peak, in my opinion. It is like the the colors of the sets, the the like light pinks, the soft blues, um, the elevator in the hotel, just it's like pure red, that just rectangle red box. Uh, is perfect and that's just setting and then you mix that with like the purple of Mm. the uniforms that they're wearing uh the again even um um like costuming is like the mustaches that they have uh (laughs) like even that plays plays into it believe it or not so yeah i it is it is simply amazing um the hotel itself all the colors of it the like color of the carpet, the color of the walls, the color of the uniforms again. And the fact that he can go from that to then like going into when um, we're put into like the prison uh, Mm -hmm. and that's like drab and um, just like not, not colorful, but it still looks amazing. Like the fact that Wes Anderson can do that and create all this stuff is is amazing. Even the the pink box for Mendel's, uh, like just that alone is like, man, this is it's it's beautiful, and you can tell that just amazing amounts of thought went into to all of it. When I think of the Mendel's box, like, have you ever had crumble cookie before? Oh yeah, yeah. Crumble is the new Mendel's. Um, yeah. That pink box. Um, I love it though, man. Like. All of Wes Anderson's movies are eye candy. This one, yeah. especially. Um, you mentioned the red carpets, the purple suits that all the hotel workers wear. Purple is often like a color that represents like elegance and royalty. And like it makes sense because Gustav is very like maybe self proclaimed, but it's still very like elegant. Um, and so it fits very, very well. I, I noticed this too, and I felt pretty cool because I've only seen this once. Um, <clears throat> you might've noticed it as well. Um, but when they're like, we're taken into different decades and different periods of time, do you notice the screen sizes and like the shot sizes change with each period? I thought that was so cool. Yeah, the I noticed it's in like, there's like three different aspect ratios in the first 10 minutes. Um, yes. So yeah, I, I thought that that was pretty cool as well. And and that ties into the cinematography, which I kind of wanted to talk about as well. Um, Wes Anderson is known for like um, his cinematography. Well, I guess maybe it's not cinematography. It's more composition because composition is where people are on the screen. Mm-hmm. Are they up close? Are they far back? Are they in the middle? Which is where Wes Anderson likes to put his people. I this movie, he does... I, 
uh, is there a shot where it's not perfectly symmetrical? Like in the whole thing, it is just insane. And like we see that in in Rushmore, where like the the framing is perfect, it it gets better in here somehow. It is it is insane just how symmetrical everything is. How the the train car scene is perfect. Like it's mm. Gustav on one side and Zero on the other, and the window in the middle, and it's just perfectly symmetrical and i i just love watching wes anderson movies because it's so it's so different it's different from what you you normally see yeah like with directors that are like well known and renowned in the industry like they have specific styles that anybody can watch like a few movies and be like hey this looks like this movie and like yeah it's because it's the same director like each director has their own flair. And then when they can master their own flair, like that's when they truly excel. I love the symmetry in this film. Um, the way that the characters are placed on screen too is very Wes Anderson-esque. Um, one thing that I noticed as well with like the way the characters and like the composition are set up, the, the relationship between um, Gustav and Zero you mentioned the train scene where like it's zero on one side and then Gustav on the other and then the window right in the middle. Very symmetrical. Um, but in the first half of the film, there are a lot of shots where it's like Gustav as the focus and then zero in the background with his little lobby yeah. boy hat, which I want one of those lobby boy hats. <laughs> but then towards the, 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 the middle, I should say the midpoint, um, where Zero helps Gustav out of the prison, which I want to talk about that scene as well. But after that, like Gustav is kind of, not kind of, he's super grateful for Zero. And we see a lot of scenes then shift to where they're at like equal composition in the shot. We do see scenes in the second half of the film where it is focused on Zero. So we really see his character emerge. Um, simply due to the composition the way that it's shot nothing that is said but just how they are presented on screen yeah and that's i feel like that's something we always like kind of touch on but never get too deep into is yeah how they're how they're filmed says everything that you need to about them um that's one of my favorite things to talk about in film studies i usually get up on the table and I say, you're looking at me from a low angle. Like I look more powerful than, than I really am. Like it's just something our brains do. It's, it's super cool. You pull the Robin Williams, oh, captain, my captain, dead poet society, stand on the table. I, no, I don't, get, I don't get crazy sentimental about it. <laughs> I have no wisdom to share on top of my desk. Oh, I love it. But you're so right. Like just... And I think many people, like, even if you don't study film, like, subconsciously, you are aware of some of these things. But then once yeah. you take, like, a film studies class or really look into it, it's almost like a blessing and a curse because, like, you're, you're not just watching films for the sake of watching it, but you're actually, like, looking at how it's shot and things like that. Wes Anderson does make it a little bit easier because he is just so talented, um, especially in this film, so... Yeah, I love it. I love just the direction that he went with it. Yeah. Um, 
Let's talk about the plot real quick. You you mentioned me filling in some holes. I don't think I can because <laughs> this plot, it never stops. It is constantly moving and changing and just you never know what is expected or what's coming. It's it's weird. It's original. It's different. We have we go from like people making in Mendel's people making brownies or cookies or whatever to prison escape scenes to shootout scenes to um just regular conversations it's it's absolutely crazy uh and it's one thing that i that i like like you you kind of got to be tuned in during this movie because it's just insane what the amount uh, of things that are happening in the different directions that we go i agree and like yeah, I mentioned fill in the gaps. I think we could talk about this movie for five hours and still have gaps to fill. I think some yeah. of the key things are the relationship between Zero and Gustav. Yeah. Um, the budding romance with Agatha and Zero. Mm-hmm. The boy with Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Even and, that alone is just like, like, who thinks of that? Who thinks of that and then makes an entire movie based around it? I want that picture, too. Surely there's prints of it. Um, how did, like, when you look at that, like, is there, like, any, like, emotional response? Or do you just look at it as, like, a satirical, like, artsy-fartsy painting boy with Apple? When I see it, all I think of is, is Ralph Fiennes saying that he uh, like he, there's that moment in the movie where he's like, you can see the resemblance, can't you? <laughs> um, and it's right after he's talking about like how like perfect the kid in the the boy with Apple looks. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I have no thoughts on it. Because <laughs> this film is very like it's subtly hilarious, like um, through a lot of the dialogue that Gustav has and just the way that he interacts with Zero. I did find it charming that this is a spoiler review, obviously, but at the end when Zero's talking um, to the author who was asking like what happened to this hotel, the boy with Apple picture is still framed behind the concierge desk. Um, yeah. Like it's a symbol of like longevity and like, love that was formed through their relationship because that painting is what catapults the story because obviously they steal the painting and then people are after them gustav then is accused of murder um all because of just like this painting that seems very like i don't know dare i say like mediocre like i feel like i've seen millions <laughs> yeah. of paintings like this <laughs> Um, but so important to the story and the foundation of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned like how, how funny it is. And I, I feel like maybe we said this during our Rushmore review, how funny that movie is only if you're paying attention. And I feel like this is the same way. It's just how Wes Anderson rolls. Um, and a few examples of that. One I really liked is what we're introduced to the Edward Norton character the like policeman mm -hmm. and there's like this big reveal of him walking into the train car and it's like kind of silent and I don't know I was expecting him to be like this German Hungarian guy and then 
in in absolutely no accent whatsoever yes. uh he just says what's the problem like in <laughs> just the, the just like what's going on here um the also the amount of times that um gustav is talking and he's like kind of serious he's talking about something serious and then without anything at all he just switches completely to just talking about something completely different he's talking about the painting at one point and he's talking about how like um i don't have anything like when i die you will have everything i'll give this painting to you and um i will cherish it forever and then it's silent for like three seconds and he just looks at zero and he goes actually we should sell it and yeah. it's just like that the the dialogue is so funny um no one more when <laughs> the jeff goldblum character is in I, I don't think it's the museum he's in, in like his office or something and the willem dafoe character throws his cat out the window and oh he God. just looks at looks at the sisters and he goes did he just throw my cat out the window just like so deadpan no emotion at all uh it, it's it's so funny the yeah i was gonna mention the the painting dialogue he says gustav says um the painting will always remind me of her always and then there's like the three second pause and then he's like you know what we should sell it i'll give you 1.5 percent of sales <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and that train scene he's talking about um like how humanity has gone to shrubs or whatever and he has the drink in his hand and I can't remember what he says exactly but he's saying something super elegant about humanity and like how it's changed and then there's just like a break and he says he doesn't say this he says the f word um but he says oh screw it and he's, he's just like I'm tired of this formality <laughs> yeah yeah those those moments of uh like contrast are just hilarious right yeah i wanted to talk you brought it up willem dafoe's character joplin yeah one of the strongest performances with the least amount of dialogue at all like he very much about him, has like this hitman vibe to him didn't we talk about willem dafoe last episode too yeah in america yeah, this Psycho. is the second episode in a row with dafoe i love it he, um he has like the we talk about like mise-en-scene he feels like he's like a cross between like a hitman and like a leader of a biker gang yeah. like he has like they're not brass knuckles but it's like the things that he has on his knuckles and it's like the skull rings or whatever um he has like the black jacket and then he has i think he's the only one of the only male characters without a mustache um but he has like the the flat top spiky haircut look and like he has like minimal lines but whenever you see him on screen like you know something crazy is about to happen because he is just embodiment of that he's also got the the black bags under his eyes which um looks like us you know in like the middle <laughs> of um february right. <laughs> <laughs> um but not only him like Willem Dafoe is the man um but every single character in this movie every single character no matter how short of a time that they're in here they get the perfect amount of dialogue they have the perfect amount of scenes and they have the perfect amount of like complexity and growth 
um, Adrian Brody's Dimitri character, like I guess the main villain of the thing, mm-hmm. like just his haircut and the clothes that he wears and the things that he says. Again, it's super short. He's not in it a ton, but it is absolutely perfect. Um, Wes Anderson may be the king of king of side characters because yeah, he can put them in there. Jeff Goldblum, another example. Like they're not in there for very long, but they are. They're just perfect, and they add exactly what they they need to to the movie. I, maybe even the best example of that is in the very beginning of the movie, where um, the Jude Law character, the writer character, is talking about the Grand Budapest Hotel, and he's talking about the people that are staying there. They have no lines at all. You just see them and what they're doing. Like I feel like I know who all those people are, and I see them for two seconds. Like it's just a perfect, perfect, perfect job of introducing all these people and there's a ton of them and Wes Anderson is the man yeah he's um he also brings in Max Fisher this is like the multiverse of Max Fisher's character he's a concierge at the Grand Budapest Hotel um played by Jason Schwartzman I thought that was great um we could even say Bill Murray's little moment um yeah yeah he was great also just fantastic mustache on Bill Murray here Probably the best one in the in the movie. I would agree. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like just like what the characters are doing as well. Like, I think like good storytelling, like it's and I mentioned this with the Rushmore episode. Wes Anderson does a very good job of like telling us about like a character's agenda and like who they are without them saying things. It's more so what they're doing on screen that tells us something. Um, A perfect example of that is the first interaction with Zero and Gustav. And like Zero is just him hawing around Gustav. And then Gustav like turns around and he's like asking him when he started. He had no idea who this guy was. And like he's like, well, we need to conduct an interview. And he was like, let's do it right now. And like they're just walking through the hotel and like, you can tell like Gustav is like preoccupied and he's very like self-righteous in his own mind because he's yeah. just walking around doing all these other things while giving an interview to a kid, um, like not giving him his full undivided attention. Um, but then Zero is obviously just following along with it. So like it shows that he is very much so like opportunistic and wanting this um, chance to be with Gustav and at the hotel just so much of the action of what they do is great. I feel like this is a movie. I wrote this in my notes. It's one that I want to see like done, like as a stage on stage play performance. Like, I feel like Wes Anderson could do that with this, like a lot of the set pieces and like things like that. I feel like this would be great on Broadway. That's a that's a really good point. You know what they should do is just instead of just the Grand Budapest, they should do just every Wes Anderson movie. Just com- combine them all into one show. Um, I don't know how that would be done, but that would be uh, like I'd go watch that in a second. That'd be so cool. That's the next Hamilton right there. Yeah. like Just <laughs> shake the game up. That would be so sweet. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, we start writing that today? After I watch Kenobi, I will I'll start writing that script. Um, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, let's get it. We'll get some crumble cookies and just sit down and get to work. <laughs> um, man, I, I feel like there's so much 
to talk about, but I feel I feel like I've said my my main points. I love the way it looks. I love the cinematography. I love Wes Anderson. Um, you what other what other points do you have to make? I just if you're cool with it, I just want to talk about a couple scenes. Let's do it. Yeah, we haven't we haven't delved into too many scenes. So yeah. So um, obviously, like we haven't talked about too much of the plot because it is so like arduous and twisty and turny. Um, ultimately, Gustav gets accused of murder of the madam who um, had the boy with apple painting, and so he is sent to an internment camp, um, basically just a prison. And we see Zero go to meet with him at the camp, at the prison. Um, he's, he's got like this black eye. And then like there's this dialogue. It's the back and forth with the, the caged glass between them. So obviously like showing the restriction between the two. Um, Gustav basically is saying like he had to fight. Um, I think his name's Pinky. Um, yeah, Pinky. Yeah. <laughs> to like show him that he's not a sissy basically um they later then become like a crew and we have agatha zero's love interest who is um sending in like little like hammers and tools in the mendel's creations to help them break out of prison just such an elaborate plan like they start by just scraping the bottom of the floor they all then escape um as they're going outside of the window and down the ladder, they like throw the ladder down and they see like it only goes halfway down the building. They kind of look at each other and they're just like, oh, crap. Um, but then like they're like ascent or rather descent down the building and scaling it and everything. And like just their whole escape, it's like speeded up in some of their actions and like how they're moving. It felt like a silent film um, in that time oh, because... Yeah. Like they're wearing like <clears throat> even like the really old like black and white prison garb like you don't see that anymore. And then obviously they're trying to escape. There's no dialogue, really. They're kind of just going through. Um, they're sped up in their process. It feels like I'm watching a silent film at that point. Um, I love the part, too, where they meet the guards playing poker like in the bunker area and like there's four of them and again they're all centered in the screen um in this little window one of the guys in their crew gustav's crew like goes down there just starts stabbing all of these guards (laughs) and then he dies as well so like one of their crew dies and then there's four guards that die and then i love the line um one of the guys in the crew says well i guess that's a draw (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) they escape then and then zero is there and he rekindles with gustav and like we really see the transformation of zero being more secondary and we see like sort of almost like a passing of the torch like zero is going to be the focal point in this second half of the film um but i really love just that prison scene such a fun part in the movie yeah the the prison scene I, I'm going to lump the shootout scene in there together because Wes Anderson, he just has no right to be able to shoot things the way that he does. And then at the same time, be able to shoot that escape scene and shoot that 
shootout scene just like perfectly like what the heck man that's not okay that's not okay the, the hotel scene where they're like on the opposite sides of the balcony Yes, there's just it's the setup for it is so funny because we get like the police, we get Adrian Brody coming out with the the gun, and then we just get guys stepping out of doorways (laughs) with like bigger guns. And it's like, wait, that we're in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Everything is pink and purple in here. Why are we having a shootout? But I don't it just works, man. It just works. And yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect and Wes Anderson. He has no right shooting things this well. Dude, such a serious moment in that shootout scene. That's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. And then Edward Norton's character comes in and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's shooting who? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love the shot particularly where it's like the low angle shot where we're looking up at the two balconies and we're just seeing the missiles just flying from one side to the other. It's just total chaos. And I'm just laughing the whole time because it's so bizarre. Yeah, who's shooting who? (laughs) Uh, Another shot that I have to talk about that just has no business being in a movie. The shot of Agatha, and I butcher her name every time, Sorsha Ronan, correct? Uh I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, The shot of her on, on the carousel close up on her face with like the lights going around love it it does dude what no it's amazing it is amazing 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 um and i feel like wes anderson probably just got bored and was like you know what let's just do a close-up on her face and get some weird lights around it and i bet it'll look cool um like that's just what wes anderson does as he's eating breakfast um so if you can't tell wes anderson's the man He's my guy. He, he is awesome. That was another shot I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, we see like it's the birthmark of New Mexico on her cheek. And then, yeah. No, just Mexico. Oh, just Mexico. Um, the whole country. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, but yeah, and then the lighting just circling around her face. Yeah, like he's just Wes Anderson just cooking in this whole yeah. film. Um I love how poppy this the whole film looks too, especially in the moments where like things are pretty serious. Like when Zero and Agatha, like they jump out of the Grand Budapest because they're being tracked down by Dimitri and they jump into the Wendell's or the Mendel's truck and they're just surrounded by poppy pink boxes everywhere. It's just like, this is genius. This is genius. And it's, I, I just keep thinking anybody could do this. Anybody could could film like this. And Wes Anderson, I feel like, is the only one to do it. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. Is this his latest release? I, has he released anything after this? Oh, yeah. He's released um, Isle of Dogs has come out. Okay, that came out and, after this. I didn't know that. Yeah, and... Um, the French Dispatch that came out last year. Duh, duh. <laughs> yeah, that was something I wanted to connect back, like the ensemble cast in the French Dispatch. Like, I feel like it's a little looser than the Grand Budapest. Like, the motivations aren't as clearly drawn there. It's definitely still like the eye candy that I appreciate, but I feel like the Grand Budapest Hotel has a great mix of the eye candy as well as like character development that provides motivation for me to 
root for these characters. Like, I love Zero, man. He's a great, great character. I love that they uh, they show him drawing his mustache. Yeah, on. that's what I was going to say. That <laughs> was one of my favorite scenes with him, and he draws the mustache. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, you ready for a score? You got some more small things? Um. Yeah, it just feels like this checks all the boxes for me um like witty dialogue it has like a shakespearean tragedy feel to it um the set design is great i feel like this is transferable like i said from film to stage production like it's just all there for me so really really appreciated it i know there is so much that i missed since i only watched this once yesterday it's one that I'm going to revisit like multiple, multiple, multiple times. And I think as I watch it more and more and more, I'll appreciate it that much more and more and more. So, yeah. Why don't you hit me with your score after that? Okay. Yeah. Very nice uh, wrap up. Yeah. So I just explained why I'm giving this, the Grand Budapest Hotel, a 92. Um nice. I feel like I'm going to watch this more and more and my score is going to go up probably surpassing the 95 mark at some point, which is sort of like my metric for a masterpiece. Anything 95 or above is deemed a masterpiece um, for me, at least. Um, But I feel like I'm going to get to that point the more I watch it. So this is a 92. Um, You mentioned the word masterpiece, and I think that this is Wes Anderson's masterpiece. I don't know if it gets any better than this. Um, I love the weirdness. I love the color. I love the characters. I love the plot. This gets a whopping 98 for me. Wow. This is, yeah, it is just, it's near perfect. Um, The only thing that I wish there was, I love Wes Anderson's soundtracks, and there is no soundtrack. It's all score here. So that's being very greedy. And I don't even really take points off for that. Like, man, I just wish that there was some uh, some kink songs in here. Like, um, that's Wes Anderson's band. Uh, but yeah, I, I love this movie. It's my, like I said, favorite and best Wes Anderson for me. 98. Wow, that's bold. I like that. And I'm not going to argue that score because it's a great movie. I do like, yeah, they could have done like different songs for like the different periods in which we're taken into. That would have been cool. Um, small critique, gigantic masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Post review. We did this last time and I want to do it again because I, I really like it. Um, our, our closing connection where we take whatever movie we're watching and we connect it into our world, which is the world of teaching um so what what's your connect the grand budapest hotel wes anderson m gustav to the world of teaching okay yeah so this is actually good because my closing connection connects to like the plot concepts a little bit um whenever you're teaching a lesson or like you're teaching with a book Um, or a film whatever it is you have to engage those kids right you got to get them wanting to digest the content and understand the material 
in a creative and engaging way. And I feel like the way that this is set up does that for us because it's zero at the beginning of the film when he is much older and he is this um, Max Fisher, <laughs> Jason Schwartzman describes zero as like this super like kind of elusive but very elegant and rich man um well-to-do guy um we then have the author played by jude law who goes and encounters him and zero starts giving the story and he's basically just telling jude law everything that's happened um with the history of the grand budapest hotel the twists and turns, the relationship that he had with Gustav, the boy with apple painting, the stealing of that, the surviving of Dimitri and Joplin. Um, it's very much so like a story that is told in a way that engages you. Um, I love how it pulls you out too in like the middle of the story when it goes back to older Zero and he's still telling the story. And like you can tell Jude Law is just sitting there like in my metaphor, like he is the student, just totally, totally engaged um, and just loving every single minute of it. So I think as teachers, that's what we need to do as well. Um, just have kids gravitate towards stories and present them in a way that is engaging. Um, so, yeah, that's my closing connection. A little bit looser there, but I do like just the way that the story is told and how it draws you in right away. Oh, I think that's perfect, especially how you said, like, uh, it's a teacher's job to present it in the right way, because you could tell the same story that the Grand Budapest Hotel told, but do it with a different director. And it's not even close to what it was. Right. So, yeah, I I always I hear people. I, I think a teacher's job is to entertain sometimes, not every day, but like you got to entertain um, you, and that that creates engagement, which is um, the only way you're going to get anything done is if kids are, yeah, engaged with what's going on. So yeah, you got to stand like on that. some desks at times and show them yeah. thoughts in real time. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're one of my students, you know that uh, anytime I put a wig on, like you, you just have to pay attention a little <laughs> bit more. Um, it's just how it goes. So yeah, and we're entertainers among other things. Right, right. I love it. What's your connection? I kind of have two, so I'll, I'll try and make them quick. Um, the first one is just Wes Anderson's commitment to his own vision. Mm. Like that is extremely commendable that he says, you know what, I'm going to make movies that look different, that sound different, that just are plain different than like regular Hollywood movies that get made. And I don't really care what people think about them. I'm just going to do my own thing. I feel like that's something that's really hard for kids to grasp. Like, Hey, you've, you've taught, you've been taught how to do this thing for so long. Um, but like, and I think teachers kind of ruin kids' creativity. We put them in boxes mm -hmm. and um, make them do things a certain way. So I feel like I'm always trying to get kids like, hey, just do this how you think you should do this. Um, and kind of take those risks and have your own, your own style. Um, it's hard for kids to come up with their own style. They're like afraid 
afraid to do it. So that's my one big thing with Wes Anderson in general. Can I piggyback off that um, really quick? Yeah, go ahead. Because there was something I was wanting to talk about in the review, but I forgot. You talked about like inventing your own style and like staying true to yourself. I just oh, want to give a quick shout out to my boy, Tyler, the creator. Um, is Did you know I was going to say that? Yeah. Yeah. Because he very much so like follows. And I tweeted this out yesterday. Like he's very much so influenced by the school of Wes Anderson, like in his music videos, the, the sled scene where um, mm-hmm. it's zero again, zero in the focus with Gustav in the background. So there's a shift in power there a little bit chasing Joplin down the hill um, like that shot, that whole scene felt like um, if you haven't seen the lumberjack music video for Tyler, the creator, like he's in a sled in the second part of the song. And like, it felt exactly like that. Um, there are many other music videos that sort of like not replicate, but are inspired by Wes Anderson. And then obviously Tyler, the creator is an innovator in, artistic style and music composition so um yeah following that same vein of seeking out your own individuality and your art um through Wes Anderson with that connection that you just beautifully stated so I had to throw that in my apologies for interrupting what do you have next oh no that was great I yeah we had to mention Tyler so that's cool my other one is um I have the criterion version of this movie uh, and I watched that version and then when I was done I they have like all these features and all these things and um, I watched a few of those and one of them was just about like kind of the behind the scenes um, and it talked about like the creation of the sets but it also focused on just Wes Anderson as a director and as I watch it watched it I couldn't help but think that like the directors and teachers like what we do is kind of closely aligned um because just watching him he was going around to like all these people and trying to get them to like see his vision and do things how he wanted them to do and I kind of feel like that's how we are as teachers like it's like hey we have this thing to do and um like I want you to do it your way but I need to you I need to get you to be able to do that um and just watching Wes Anderson, like he's a genius, just watching him, um, his complete like focus on the minute details, like he's focusing on background characters, he's fixing props, he's um, looking at the camera, he's telling people how to do things, just the vast array of things that he does, uh, I feel like ties to us as teachers too, because um, teaching is like the it's one thing that we do. Um, there's just so many things that we do in a given day that I feel like I saw Wes Anderson doing like 30 things in directing a movie. And I feel like that's kind of how we roll as well from day to day. Yeah, we teach, but we also like orchestrate and facilitate at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, I would be, yeah, I would be interested to see those like behind the scenes. That's cool. I like that connection. Yeah, they're really cool. And it, it also did a really good job just showing the amount of work that went into like everything that needed to be painted and built and created just for you mentioned that sled scene. There's a behind the scenes of it. 
that sled is just like a sled on rollers on a cart <laughs> and it's just a guy a guy pulling it and the camera's behind him like it and he's pulling it and then he stops and he just looks at everybody laughs it's like it just looks a ton of fun yeah oh, that is cool yeah these films are fun just that's the best way to put them they're fun films yeah. i love it love it great connections thank you thank you yeah yeah yep yep um you ready to hear the film for next week can't wait all righty so next week um we may or may not have our first guest on the episode um we'll hold on to their name until they're here um but there may or may not be yeah another guest here so well we did have we we had robert pattinson on oh that's true yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so our second guest yeah um yeah robert pattinson gave us a lot of good feedback and um really enjoyed his time on the batman episode um next week we're going to be watching legends of the fall um i don't know too much about this movie i know that it stars brad pitt um it's on hulu with a premium premium subscription um also on Prime, if you want to pay a couple bones to rent it. Um, but Legends of the Fall, check it out. And that way you can be ready for the next episode, as Dr. Dre would say. Um, X-Ray, do you have anything else for the people? Uh, I just remembered, I'm, I've read Legends of the Fall. I think it's like, a, it's not a full-on book. I think it's a short story. Um but I'm also one of those people that like I read things and then I kind of forget about them. Right. Um, so I don't really remember much about it. <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed it, but I'm, I'm excited to watch this movie. It's one that's like been on my list for a while. And people have told me like, I can't believe you haven't seen Legends of the Fall. So I'm excited we're watching it. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we get some like actual like. Like disparaging views like i would like to have some debate on here at one point like we're always just in agreeance which is cool but maybe we'll get some dispute um we'll see what happens how about you watch it first you let me know if you like it or dislike it and then i'll watch it and i'll just be like okay i have to hate this movie (laughs) naturally naturally Uh, i love it all righty so that was the grand budapest hotel Legends of the Fall next week. Until then, stay up to date on things. Enjoy your summer break. Get outside. Still do your homework. And peace out. Peace out.